Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. And today we're going to celebrate Black History Month by talking with uh, a couple of people who are very involved with uh, minority affairs here in Bloomington and on the IU campus. Um, Edwin Marshall is the IU Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs. And Beverly Callender Anderson is Bloomington's Safe and Civil Cities Director. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Ed, Beverly, welcome to the Thank program. You. Thank you. Thanks for being here. You know, I, I said we're going to be celebrating Black History Month, and that obviously is true, but both of you do so many more things, and you're involved with uh, a lot of different groups of people. So I thought I'd start out by just asking, and I'll ask Beverly first, to mm-hmm. talk about the Safe and Civil City program and, and sort of the, the overarching goals that you have. Well, the main goal of the Safe and Civil City program of the city of Bloomington is to help ensure that the city is a welcoming, valuing community that uh, respects all of the visitors and residents uh, that are here. And we do that in a number of ways, and diversity being one of them. Uh, But we also provide uh, support to organizations and and to the community community when unexpected events come up, so in, in a community response kind of way. Uh, when things are going on in the city or in the community that uh, require some immediate or emergency assistance. Uh, We work with the local law enforcement, uh, all law enforcement, uh, on public safety issues. We have a sister cities program um, where we work internationally with those cities that we've partnered with. Um, And so... There, there are a lot of things that we do, and, and diversity is one part of that. But um, our programs really do try to ensure that everyone feels respected and welcomed in Bloomington. Okay. And, Ed, the, uh, the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs. It's kind of a mirror of what um, is happening in the city, focusing primarily on, on the uh, university environment. But obviously it has to relate very well with the surrounding communities, including um, Bloomington. Uh, I look at the office as being kind of a um, three-legged stool, if you will. Uh, One piece of that is the pre-collegiate aspect, uh, growing the pipeline from kindergarten or even pre-kindergarten up through 12th grade. So working with school systems around the state, particularly uh, high-need schools, schools in Cities like Indianapolis, Gary, Fort Wayne, South Bend, Evansville, trying to make sure that those those students are ready and prepared for entry uh, into college. The second leg of that stool would then be the collegiate side. Once those students have, have enrolled, then we want to make sure that we provide the appropriate resources to make them and help them to become successful uh, in their undergraduate experience. And then uh, the third stool kind of is over is kind of an encompassing uh, leg, uh, and that it looks at the whole issue of climate. Uh, as Beverly said, we want to make sure that the university, the campus, is welcoming, it's nurturing. So we want to have programs in place to, as best we can, make the environment look at least somewhat like the environments that these students come from. So uh, cult- multicultural initiatives that support programs in the arts and culture, uh, the culture centers, all tend to help support that piece of the um, of the stool as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk a little bit. I'm going to stay with you for a minute. Uh, let's talk about the, the pre-collegiate part. Of, I know uh, we were talking before we went on the program about the 21st Century Scholars Program. Is that uh, you know the number one program that you have, or is it one of many programs you have to try to encourage younger kids to, to get on the right track? That's one of many. Um, the 21st Century Scholars Program and now the 21st Century Covenant are both designed to have students identify early uh, that you know, college is part of their uh, uh, life goals and that they commit themselves to, be, to preparing themselves for entry into, into college and hopefully uh, Indiana U- University. But we have other programs as well. Uh, we have a, a program called the Community School Partnerships, 
which works with, with, with middle school kids. Uh, we bring kids to campus during the summer, for an example. They do shadowing programs. They'll spend a couple of days here, getting a sense of what it might be like to be at uh, an Indiana University, Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And we actually already have an email, and I'm going to read through some read through this, but essentially they're asking you to give me some advice about media coverage. And ah. I'm always happy to take it. So <laughs> it says, uh, recently the local paper, that would be the Herald Times, was criticized for presenting the face of drug crime in our community in a misleading way with front-page photos of three African-Americans. A related concern is how the face of our community is shaped by default through lack of coverage. And here's an example. It says, last year, the local paper ran an excellent series of daily profiles of local African-Americans during Black History Month. I must say we're doing a similar thing this mm-hmm. year. Um, as an experiment, I looked through each issue of the paper for the month after Black History Month to see how many stories were carried and faces presented of local African Americans, Latino Americans, and Asian Americans. There were virtually none, it says, and I have no way to refute that. So we'll take this person at, at uh, face value. I believe the face of the local paper reflects back to the, its readership about which kinds of people our community include um, – it is often shaped by lack of coverage, by sin of omission. Specifically, the invisibility of local people of color and the local media can reinforce for white residents the mistaken notion that people of color are outsiders or marginal, not only now but throughout our history. So then to the question, what advice can you give local media about ways to make sure the face of our community regularly reflects our racial, religious, ethnic, sexual, and other diversities throughout the year, not just during one designated month? I'll take a stab at that. All right. Um, you know, Black History Month is, I think it's great to identify a period in time to talk about the contributions of African Americans to this country. But we need to be cognizant of the fact that all these contributions did not occur in the month of February. Mm. Uh, these contributions occurred throughout the year, and we need to celebrate those contributions 12 months out of the year, not just in February. And I think it's important then that the media, and for many, the media basically is the lens through which uh, they see the world. Uh, It's important that the media be as balanced as possible in the images that it projects of not only African Americans, but of any particular uh, racial or ethnic group. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage the media to be as sensitive to those issues from March through January as it, as it is during February. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, I, and I agree with that. And, and the media is such a powerful tool, <clears throat> excuse me, in shaping opinions. Um, of course, I, I was very aware of the incident with the, um, the drug crime that the, the writer spoke about. And also with your retraction on the editorial page, uh, well, not necessarily a retraction, but the apology for doing that. And I think part of what what we need, and I don't know what your newsroom looks like, um, but part of what we need probably are more people of color in our media newsrooms and, you know, as reporters, as editors um, behind the scenes, because then they could be taking a look at that and help sensitize staff and, and editors to what's going on, too. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and, and the uh, American Society of Newspaper Editors has for a long time um, advocated trying to have our newsrooms in America reflect the general population of the community, and uh, that organization has fallen way short of mm-hmm. its goals. It, it wanted the newsrooms to reflect the community population um, by the year 2000. It's been working. We've been working on this for a long time, and it, and it felt it, it grows every year, but mm-hmm. it's like. 11% nationally, and I think the number of minorities in the general population is maybe 25%, something along those lines. Um, in our particular newsroom, we have two full-time minority staff members. Both are, are Hispanic reporters, mm-hmm. um, which means that uh, on paper, our newsroom reflects the general – our percentage of um, minority employees reflects the, the general community. But it's still mostly white. So, but that's a very good point. I think that's uh, something that we talk about a lot in, in terms of, of ethnic diversity, but also in terms of of um, the age of our staff, the income levels of our staff, because there there are we don't want to be 
writing about people who are only like us or photographing people who are only like us. So it's a good point. I'm glad the uh, emailer wrote it in and we were able to, to talk about it. All right. If you have a question, you can phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Again, today our guests are Edwin Marshall, who's the IU Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, and Beverly Callender Anderson, who's the City of Bloomington Safe and Civil Cities Director. Uh, let's talk a, a little bit about IU's efforts to attract and retain uh, a more diverse student population. I, I did uh, print off um, – it's a pretty long document. It's uh, the Comprehensive Strategy for Increasing the Enrollment of Underrepresented Minorities on the Bloomington Campus, and that came from your website. Um, and I know that the, there there's a goal, correct, for what uh, the university wants to look like in 2014? Is that right? Right. The uh, trustees has said that we need to double – the enrollment of underrepresented minority students on the Bloomington campus by 2013-2014 academic year. And that is a challenge that obviously my office is in the middle of uh, because we tend to be uh, the catalyst for a lot of programs that address issues around recruitment, retention, uh, persistence from one year uh, to the other. But I think also we have to look at the um, visibility of Indiana University and how it's perceived um, in many minority communities. And for various reasons, sometimes those perceptions may not have been as positive as we would like. Um, some of these are uh, historical of, of many years um, gone, gone by, but they still e- exist. Uh, I have been trying to develop um, programs towards Uh, expanding our visibility on the positive side. Uh, Since I've been in office, this is my, I think, sixth month uh, (laughs) as vice president, I have uh, kind of identified as our mantra, um, uh, our slogan, Destination IU, that any university should be a destination institution for students from diverse backgrounds. And uh, with any journey, um, you have to identify a destination that you want to uh, arrive at. And you, you do that based upon your experiences with that particular destination. So we want to uh, place as best we can in the minds of students early in their academic career, uh, starting with that um, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, first and second grade level, that as part of their academic journey, Indiana University should be a destination. It should not necessarily be looked at as a default institution. It should not be. They should not think of of uh, university life as something that well, I may get to, or I may not. Uh, it should be not if. It should be when. And so we want to try to build that imagery that IU is part of their destination. Mm-hmm. So we have programs that are working to to make that happen at the pre. Uh, the P16 level, but we also then, as I said before, once we get them here, we need to make sure that the environment is welcoming, it's nurturing, and that we have the necessary support systems in place uh, to make sure that their experience is both uh, academically uh, successful as well as experientially and culturally successful. How does an organization or a city department like Beverly's play into, um, into your strategy? I mean, Bloomington has a safe and civil city Office, and I would assume, I, and Beverly, you can correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, that that Bloomington is somewhat unique in that that there aren't a lot, very of, unique, yeah, a lot of communities that have something like that. Mm-hmm. So, is that something that you use or mention to? Uh, well, we have to. I mean, Bloomington and Indiana University, I believe, are, are partners in many things, including uh, in this initiative as well. And IU does not exist in a vacuum. It exists in the city of Bloomington. So when one looks at Indiana University, particularly culturally, they also look to, to, to the city of, of Bloomington. And if Bloomington is not as welcoming as we would like, then that will adversely affect our ability to recruit students from diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So we have to collaborate on, on this and make sure that the entire environment, as well as the entire experience of students, as well as faculty and staff, 
is one that's going to be supportive and positive. Now, Beverly, talk about that uniqueness of your office. I, mean, I, I remember when it was created. I believe that was in the administration of John Fernandez. Right. And then you've been Safe and Civil City Director. I'm in my third year now. In your third year. So yeah. you were hired by Mark Cruzan, mm-hmm. who's continued to, to support the office. So exactly. How, how – um, I mean, how how well do you think that positions Bloomington? And and when you think about other communities that don't have an office like this, what are they missing? Well, there are other communities that do some of the things that we do. Um, they're, they're, they have special events or, you know, departments, or they may have departments that work on diversity in employment. But I think with the uniqueness of our department is that it's so holistic, and, and, it's, and it's a comprehensive uh, look at the entire community, uh, which includes IU. And we do work very closely with a number of IU departments and programs in doing events and projects. Um, and so with, with the city of Bloomington and having the Safe and Civil City program, um, we're looking at, at a very holistic way of how do we make this a welcoming community. And you know, that that plays into IU. It plays into our economic development base, because if we are a safe and civil environment, then more people want to come here. They want to have businesses here. They want to live here. They want to retire here, you know. Um, And so I think the difference is the goal. Uh, It's not where, and I'm from Chicago, and I know that Chicago has a special events department in their city. And their goal is to put on a special event. Our goal is to to ensure a welcoming community. And so I think that's the uniqueness of, of what we do uh, in the way that we look at it and in the ultimate goal that we try to achieve. Mm-hmm. Now, your office, well, this was, would have been before you were in the office, but it was um, certainly challenged uh, when the Korean student, Wan mm-hmm. Jun Yoon, was, was shot. And you were involved in yes. that from, in a different way. Mm-hmm. You were with Bloomington United at the time, right? Right. Well, I was, I was actually with United Way, but United, working yeah. as a volunteer with Bloomington United. Yeah. So I, the, the question I'm, I'm sort of moving toward is how, how both of your offices work with the international programs and the international community. Is there overlap? Ed? With Indiana University, you know, we, do, we do have an office – uh, another vice president uh, that oversees uh, the international uh, arena. However, uh, there is an aspect of my office as it relates to the, the, the climate uh, and the multicultural piece that works closely with the vice president you know, for, for, for international programs to, to make sure that uh, when we say Bloomington and IU needs to be welcoming and nurturing, it's not just for African-American students or Hispanic students or Native American students and Asian students. It needs to be welcoming and nurturing for all students. And as our society becomes much more globally uh, diverse, uh, the the interaction with students from different backgrounds, whether they be domestic or international, sometimes create challenges for other students who have not had the experience of interacting with those individuals uh, previously. So we need to collaborate, as I would do with, with, with many offices, in making sure that our environments are uh, as welcoming for all students as well as uh, the international students. Yeah. And, yeah, and as, as well with us, um, I agree exactly with what Ed said, that it needs to be a welcoming and nurturing place for everyone that wants to be here, that wants to live here. And we have done programs with the International Center at IU. We also have the Sister Cities program, and we have, currently have three active sister city relationships are working on another uh, with Omura City in Japan. And so opening that up and, and working internationally is part of our goal as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I may add to sure. that, too, you know, it's a two-way street. Uh, we, uh, normally when we, when we talk about inter, you know, international programs, we default to students coming here. Mm-hmm. But it's also important, I think, for our students to have an international experience themselves abroad. And we are working uh, with international uh, programs, uh, even with that, some of the programs within my own office. We're looking to try to increase the level of international experience for students of, of color to make sure they have those opportunities to go abroad. Because uh, let's face it, they're going to have to interact uh, at a much higher level uh, internationally than uh, maybe you and I have had to uh, in, in the past. Yeah, I've 
thought a lot recently about my uh, lack of attention in French class when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I'd paid more attention. Yeah. All right, our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. And I might add, I probably should have taken something other than French. It might have served me better today. Hola, um, <laughs> no, That would be good. <laughs> Ed, um, we were talking a little bit about the uh, importance of diversity as a core value. You mentioned that, that before we went on the air, and I want both of you to talk about that. The, you know, why is diversity important? Why, why is the work that both of you are doing so important? Yeah. Um, again, I think if we look at the world in which we live and the world in which we will live in on the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, um, what we see today is just a, 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 a prologue of, of, what's, of what's to come in terms of diversity and the different experiences and backgrounds and beliefs and cultures that we would encounter on, on a daily basis. You know, diversity has to be a core value. It has to be integrated into the fabric of, of everything that we do. Uh, from an educational experience, it does bring currency to to the uh, academy. It, it brings uh, ideas, beliefs, uh, values that might not ordinarily be there but for the people who are representing those values but based upon uh, their respective diverse backgrounds. So I think it's extremely important. The business community realized this many, many years ago uh, because you know, to maintain market shares in order to address those populations that want to sell its widgets to, it had to be more diverse and be more sensitive to those diverse cultures and issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say very often, diversity is. I mean, it, there's nothing we can do about it. It is. We are all here. We are all different, whether that's racially or ethnically, sexual orientation, religion. It just is. And what I have found in, in my work over the years is that no matter who we are, we basically want the same thing. We want to be able to live in a peaceful environment. We want our kids to do better than what we've done. Um, everybody wants the same thing. However, we always have problems in how we communicate that. And if we feel like something is being taken away from us for someone else to have something. And so I feel that the work that, that I do, that Ed does, that his department does, is so important because the number one thing that it does is that it helps people communicate better. It helps people learn how not to feel threatened because someone else is achieving or because someone else is doing the same, you know, as you are. And so um, that that's why this is so important. And, and there are times, and I hope the mayor isn't listening, but there are times when, <laughs> when I say that I would do this job even if I weren't getting paid for it. And, and in some ways I did before I... I um, was appointed to this because this work is – it's the basis of what this country is. And so um, we, we have to. We have to promote diversity. We have to um, continue to try to learn about other people and learn more about ourselves in the process. You know, I want your reaction to what I'm going to say because I, I think as I think of this more and more, you know, the older I get, uh, you know, the more I learn I don't know, you know. And, and I think um, it helps – it really helps break down stereotypes and break down misconceptions. Um, one example, and I may have even mentioned it on the air at some point, is about three years ago I took a trip to Ukraine with a, on a newspaper trip and and some people from Ukraine came back to visit us, and and when they they hadn't seen a lot of what they saw in Bloomington, they were from a poor background, and um, there were friends of mine that said, "Wow, I bet they don't want to go back home." And my response was, "Wow, you know, why would you why would you say mm-hmm. that? What they have is different. It's different, but it was fantastic. I mean, they had they had some things that seemed to be a great advantage over the hustle and bustle that we have, mm-hmm. and that's just." You know, you say diversity is, well, their life was. I mean, it was what they knew, what they loved, and there were so many – we had so many great experiences over there, and it didn't involve going into Target. Mm -hmm. So it it was – you know, there there are these stereotypes about – and I I said when we were going to Ukraine, I couldn't make my my brain see the sun shining there because my history, you know, of growing up during the Cold War and everything that was going on – it's like, well, that's part of the Soviet Union. It never, the sun never shines there. It's, mm. you know, so it, it just it taught me a lot. Uh, that trip taught me a lot about this idea of, um, you know, we all know that people stereotype and that stereotypes are unfair, but it taught me a little more about it. 
And I think it's really easy for people to stereotype groups. Um, and, and much like your experience, and I'm sure we Ed and I have both had international experiences, it's easy to stereotype groups. And then when you meet people one-on-one or when you go to a place, it dispels those stereotypes. And I think part of the importance of Black History Month or Hispanic Heritage Month or Asian American Pacific Islander Month is that it gives us an opportunity to meet people one-on-one. It gives us an opportunity not only to look at history and to see where people have come from, but also to see those things that are important as far as music and art and culture and food. Um, and it and it starts to break down a lot of the myths, like the sun not shining, right. you know, that, <laughs> that we've built up over time because of whatever experience we've had through media or television or history books. Yeah. It brings me back to your question earlier about the role of the media because you know, your reaction was different than your, you know, your friends because of your personal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and too often, again, we, we bring to the conversation whatever baggage we may have and frequently, too frequently that baggage is based upon what we see through the media. Mm-hmm. And so the image that they portray is the image that we carry with us mm-hmm. until we are able to have those personal experiences. Right. Okay. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We're talking with uh, Edwin Marshall today, who's the IU Vice President for Diversity and Equity and Multicultural Affairs at Indiana University and Beverly Callender Anderson, Bloomington Safe and Civil Cities Director. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lampton, real estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU is a media sponsor for the Hoosier Hills Food Bank's annual Soup Bowl benefit taking place this Sunday and a sponsor for the Big Brothers Big Sisters of South Central Indiana's 2008 Edward Jones Bowl for Kids' Sake. Now the annual Soup Bowl benefit is already sold out. There are still a number of ways that you can help fight hunger in Monroe and surrounding counties. The Big Brothers Big Sisters of South Central Indiana's Bowl for Kids' Sake takes place the 23rd through the 1st. That's at suburban bowling lanes and teams are forming now. More information about both these areas at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times. Mary Catherine Carmichael cannot be with us today, so I'm uh, doing this solo. But I have two great guests, Edwin Marshall, the IU Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, and Beverly Callender Anderson, the Safe and Civil Cities Director for the City of Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I wanted to start the second half of the program by asking about some programs. Beverly, mm-hmm. some programs that you have through the Safe and Civil City program that you'd like to mention? Well, a couple of things specifically related to Black History Month. We have had a number of programs. Um, our theme this year was Generations, and we're sort of examining the passing down of knowledge and culture and history from one generation to the other. And tomorrow, actually, at 3 o'clock at Tri-North Middle School, there's going to be a fashion experience. They're not calling it a fashion show, but a fashion experience where they'll examine trends in fashion and in music through the ages. And so uh, we'd love to have people come out and join us for that. Um, Also, tomorrow is a minority mentoring program. Uh, in conjunction with National Girls and Women in Sports Day, and that will be at the School of Hyper, and we're involved in that as well. And then the National Girls and Women in Sports Day game on Sunday 
and maybe I should have let Ed say this. I don't know, but um, <laughs> IU versus Michigan, and that's that's a really great time for girls to come out and learn about some of the opportunity, girls and boys, but it's, it really focuses on uh, women and girls in sports um, to come out and learn about some of the opportunities available at IU Bloomington. Um, and some of the things they need to be doing to prepare themselves to go to school and then also enjoying the game. Um, and then next Saturday, the 23rd, the the city is c- concluding their Black History Month events with a Black History Month gala, which will take place at the convention center. Tickets are $35, and there will be music by the Dynamics. Um, the award for the Young Outstanding Black Male will be presented, and there are a number of things that are going on, but we'd love to have people come out to any of those Black History Month events. You talk about staying power. The dynamics are still playing. The dynamics are still playing and they're still great. All right. Um, Ed, Black History Month events at IU? Uh, Yeah, we have a whole series of events. Uh, Many of these uh, are through um, the various uh, offices that we oversee, uh, the cultural centers, for for example. Uh, Most of them are either centered around lecture series our cultural programs, uh, these are listed on, uh, are available on, on our website, and I would direct the listeners uh, to those. Okay. All right. Um, I know that there are, uh, you know, we're talking about black history and Black History Month, but in Bloomington, Indiana, pretty much everywhere around the nation, there's also a great um, increase of Hispanic, Latino uh, residents, I would assume students here on campus. Um, Beverly, what kinds of programs do you have that are addressing this issue? Well, as part of the Safe and Civil City program, we do have a Latino outreach program. And we have a Latino outreach coordinator as well as an assistant. Um, We do things like translations. We help people find their way in the community, connect them to social services. Um, right now, we're con- we're working with um, I think it's called Vida at the library um, to do tax preparation for Spanish-speaking people in Bloomington. So there are a number of services that we do offer, and just by calling the office, uh, people can find out what that is, or yeah. visiting the website as well. And, and Ed gave a plug for his website, but we're <laughs> at uh, Bloomington.in.gov, and and the uh, Latino outreach program listings are there. Okay. Um, Ed, how about uh, Latino or uh, Hispanic students on campus? Is it, is it growing? The so, numbers are growing. Uh-huh. Um, and we, in fact, uh, if we look at enrollment, uh, both total enrollment as well as first year enrollment, you know, we're seeing those numbers increase uh, for most groups, uh, for American Indians, Asians, as well as Hispanics. Unfortunately, over the last two or three years, they declined slightly for African-Americans. They hit their peak year around uh, 2005, but uh, I'm told that uh, the numbers are have, have rebounded and we expect to see uh, significant increases for this coming class, so that's uh, highly promising. But in terms of supporting uh, this, this, this growing number of students, as I mentioned earlier, under our multicultural initiatives, uh, we have four cultural centers. I think we're about the only uh, university, to my knowledge, it has four cultural centers. We have the uh, African American, uh, the Neil Marshall uh, um, Black Cultural Center. We have La Casa, uh, the Latino Cultural Center, the First Nations Educational Cultural Center, which is the most the most most recent, um, and uh, the uh, Asian uh, Cultural Center. And these provide support systems for a lot of those students. Uh, they provide kind of a uh, a home, if you will, that helps them relate back to the cultures from whence they have come, just so they have a piece of that uh, uh, of that of that history. And sometimes just having students who look like you, who, who who act like you, who have some of the same beliefs and values that you have, be able to to share ideas and to realize that you're not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the programming that we also offer to to, to again help them navigate uh, this thing we call Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Uh, do each of you have, uh, you know, one issue or one question or one concern that just keeps coming up, you know, time and time again? I mean, it might be, I mean, I think about, you know, in my own job, I mean, it, it might be the, you know, the, the call about, can you keep my name out of police beat? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, things that I just know that in, in a period of a couple of weeks, I'm going to hear this question or this concern or this issue come up. Are there things like that that you face in your 
Well, I think in in my particular position, one of the beauties of the position is that no day is ever the same. (laughs) Um, And and there are always different questions Um, and and not necessarily related to diversity as we're talking about race or ethnicity. Um, As many people know, we've dealt with the noise issue, lower the boom. We deal with employment issues. uh, and so they are always, you know, there are always different things that are coming up. So I don't know that there's any one. Um, I tell people, and I've said to other groups this month, every year we get the same question of why are we celebrating Black History Month? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is a question that, and I don't know if Ed gets that, but, um, you know, why Black History Month? But um, that, How do you answer that? Well, I answer it the way that that I've answered it earlier Uh today is that it's really necessary to learn about people, to learn the history, to learn the culture, to help dispel myths, and that it's not just about black history. It's a piece of American history that has been missing for so very long and that what this does is fills in some of the gaps for all of us and not just for African Americans. And, And I answer it the same way when people ask me about Asian American, Asian Pacific Islander Month or Hispanic Heritage Month. It's helping to fill in those gaps of American history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, think, I think also it's an opportunity to just take a pause and reflect back upon the contributions that uh, individuals from various cultures have, have made to this country. And I think uh, too often we take things for granted or we don't understand you know, those contributions. So uh, it's not only to celebrate but it's also to appreciate. And I think that's very, very key in terms of the education of of not only our students but also of the uh, adult population. And when we look at the youth, I think it gives them something to look towards as well. It's something that, yes, I can do that. I can be that person. Uh, not having that history, not having that role models to, 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 to point towards uh, too often, I think, leave us out there uh, without a rudder. And uh, so I think it gives us some degree of, of focus that, yes, if they, they did this on, in, in those times, I surely can begin to think about doing this in these times. Mm-hmm. Um, before I, I have a follow-up to that, but before I do, I want to give you the opportunity to answer that, that other question I ask about. Are there things that come up you know, in a repetitive nature that come up every couple of weeks you know you're going to deal with or hear this question? Well, if I go back to my destination IU um, uh, philosophy that, you know, this is a journey, uh, what keeps coming up, if I look at Indiana University, Indiana University is at towards, towards the end of at least of, of that perspective of the, of the journey. The, uh, what keeps coming up is what are we doing about the other end, you know, the upstream piece, um, growing that pipeline. And if we look at the state of, of, of our schools, if we look at um, the level of performance uh, that our, our kids are, are demonstrating, uh, we look at how many are satisfying the, the, the core 40 requirements, which is going to become a requirement for interest into IU. Um, we, need to, we, we, need, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, if not, I think it's not only going to be a problem of diversity, it's going to be a problem of economic development for this state as well as, as, as well as the country. So I think what keeps servicing, at least in my mind and individuals I interact with, is how are we going to make sure that the youth of the future are adequately prepared to deal with the rigors of not only an undergraduate education, but also the rigors of this global competition that we see increasing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have about 10 minutes to go in the program, actually about 15 minutes. If anybody wants to join us, the phone numbers again are 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, I'm not going to ask either one of you to uh, to reveal your political um, positions on presidential candidates, but I do want to ask about Barack Obama and about where you see his place in history and you know how how do you view this presidential year is this uh you know we've had uh black presidential candidates before jesse jackson and it you know comes to mind um this seems to be different how do you just give me a reaction to barack obama and the things that he's brought to this presidential election oh Beverly? oh sorry <laughs> i mean it's it's history in the making i mean this not only barack obama but also hillary clinton but uh-huh. but um specifically i mean it's history in the making and i i don't think that i anticipated seeing um an african american or a woman get this close to the presidency 
in my lifetime. I think one of the things that I appreciate most about both of their campaigns um, is the energy that it has brought to young people. Um, there are so many young people that are now interested in the political process, that are watching debates, that are taking a stand. And yeah, we've had minority candidates before. We've had women, female candidates before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first African-American candidate was a female, was Shirley, Shirley Chisholm. Chisholm yeah. um, but none of them brought the kind of energy and the kind of hope that that the candidates, the Democratic candidates this year have brought. And um, that's the thing I think that excites me and why I think this will go down in history books. And when we're talking about, you know, African-Americans who have made history, certainly Barack Obama's name is going to be there in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mean to slight Hillary Clinton in this conversation uh, either, but since it's Black History Month, <laughs> I mentioned Barack Obama. Uh, I would have to, you know, echo those comments and um, you know, not giving away any political uh, affiliation one way or the other. But I think, you know, his slogan of, of, of yes, we can, I think it's, it's, it's extremely important. It sends a message that, you know, um, we, can, we can create change. And the fact that he and Hillary, um, you know, are vying for the Democratic you know, nomination, um, to me, you know, is historical. And the outcome will also be historical in terms of who ultimately uh, ends up with, with, with the nomination. But that, yes, we can mantra and change is something that does energize, I think, the, the population. And as I mentioned earlier, in, in dealing with the, the, the younger population, it does give them a, a point of focus. Uh, it gives them uh, a path that, yes, we can and, yes, I can do it as well. And I think that's very, very positive. I think it's the hope. I mean, he's 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 brought hope to a group of of people that didn't seem to have a lot of hope in the and and, and faith in the political process. So that I think is he can write that down as an yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. All right, we have a couple phone calls, so let's go to the first phone call. And it's Jane. Jane. Oh, hi. I'm just curious. I was listening. I may have missed, but it seemed I didn't hear any discussion of the Native American Indians. Uh-huh. And the problems in the country is there are there work going on there? Yeah, Ed, Ed did mention it a little bit, but go ahead, Ed. Uh, yes, we are. Um, it's kind of stacked on the. Okay. Yeah. Um, we do have. I mentioned earlier one of our four culture centers. The most recent one is the First Nations Educational Cultural Center, trying to provide that cultural home for for Native American students in IU. I might add that uh, next month um, we will be bringing 20 students from the Navajo Reservation in Arizona to Bloomington, to IU, for about a four-day experience, trying to, again, uh, give them the the impression that, yes, they too can be at Indiana University. And so this is a, this is a relatively new initiative, but realizing that, yeah, problems exist there, challenges, challenges exist there as well, and we're going to try to try to address those as best we can. All right, Jane. Thanks a lot for the call. All right, and now the next call is Dave. Dave. Hi. Hey, um, Dave. The discussion seems to be around um, maybe a more global perspective, but I guess I would like to ask a question about how you deal with some of the issues of tolerance and intolerance on a more local level. You know, for example. Um, just a simple thing, like uh, a neighborhood adjacent to the university campus saying, we don't want a lot of those students in our neighborhood. So could maybe you touch on some of the more uh, local things? Sure. I'm sure we can. Beverly? Well, one of the things our office does, we work a lot with neighborhood associations. We work with other grassroots groups. We mentioned Bloomington United earlier. Um, And so when issues do come up, as opposed to the city handing down an edict, we we try to work with groups that are being directly impacted. And so um, when concerns are are voiced, we work with those groups to come to to peaceful resolutions. We also work with the Community Justice and Mediation Center. And so a lot of times there is mediation that goes on. It it may not be a big, well-publicized program, but there are things that are being done um, behind the scenes. And also at IU, you know, we have... um we have one uh, entity called COMU, um, uh, Committee on, on Racial and Multicultural Understanding, 
and it's designed to bring together individuals to talk about these issues and try to work through these issues and come up with solutions uh, that will try to uh, not allow those things to happen as we go forward. Dave, any follow-up? Any specific thing you want to ask about? No, I, I, I guess, you know, I, I would like to, I, I guess more than anything else, to just see that we have uh, some of those local uh, opportunities. You know, if I, if I may add, David, I think it's also important each of us, though, take this on as a mission. Uh, even though, you know, we have uh, various organizations and groups that come together to try to address this uh, from an organizational perspective, it's up to each of us individually uh, to, uh, as we encounter these sorts of events, to address them directly. Um, because I think, you know, it's not something that my office alone or Beverly's office alone uh, is responsible for, it's something that as a community, uh, we all are responsible for. And, and if there are issues that come up that you would like to see if the Safe and Civil City program can be involved in, you are always free to call. Um, we, we welcome your input into what's going on in the community, and the number is 349-3560. All right, Dave, thanks Great, a lot. Great, those are the numbers, thanks. Okay, thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. We have just a few more minutes, but we could certainly slide in another phone call or two. Um, I want to ask about... Black history, again, from – get a personal perspective from both of you about people who, uh, you know, we might not think about uh, – the general population might not think about who you know about in black history who have been important in your lives or somebody that you think people should uh, learn more about. Uh, Beverly, you want to – start? I know that's not an easy question. <laughs> well, there, there are so many people and, and so many things that have happened. Um, one of the things that um, – or one of the people that I had a chance to do a little more research on this year was Benjamin Banneker. And it's a name that we hear a lot, be, you know, especially in Bloomington because of the Banneker Community Center. But I don't know how many people have actually looked into his life <clears throat> excuse me, and done the research. And he was an astronomer and a mathematician and just a person way, way before his time that had um, a large impact on um, on society, you know, with, with the things, with the invention of the clock or the reproduction of, of clocks and watches. And so I think that that is... Um, that was really interesting. And, and with that, I will encourage you to stop by Benjamin Banneker Center because there is a historical marker that is going to be going up. Uh, we unveiled it last weekend, and it will be going up in the spring, uh, just um, marking that as one of the two colored schools in Bloomington where um, African-American children attended. Okay. Ed? Um, personally, I think uh, one of the uh, greatest influences to me as a young child, this is not someone who's off the radar screen, but very visible on the, on the screen, it would be Martin Luther King Jr. As a, as a young child, I had a chance to participate in a march with him um, in Albany, Georgia, and uh, witnessed you know, firsthand not only the coming together of people, but then in the aftermath, the, um, the retort from uh, the not-so-friendly uh, onlookers. And as a child, you know, experiencing that and trying to wondering why is this happening, uh, I think created for me um, uh, a lot of questions that I've sought, tried, 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 tried to find answers for throughout my um, adult life. But I think, you know, getting more personal, uh, I think it's parents, it's relatives, mm -hmm. those who have who have kind of um, helped us with those oral uh, narratives of, of their experiences and being able to talk with them about, you know, their challenges and, and build upon that as we go forward, to, to me, I think, are the unsung heroes. Uh, it's not the ones necessarily who are always uh, in the limelight, but the ones behind the scenes who are, who are living uh, this on a daily basis but who are able to kind of help direct us away from some of the ills of their past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really want to second that. I, I, I think parents downplay how important they are in their children's lives, and parents and grandparents and those cousins and aunts and uncles really, you know, that that is our history. That is our personal history. And so I would encourage people to even go back and gather some of that oral history from 
relatives that, that they have that are still with us, you know, before they leave, because there is so much. They've lived through so much, and, and I think that that is a place where people can really find out a lot about not only the history of their families, but the history of the country and what was going on during particular times. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in the last two or three minutes of the program, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the, the biggest challenge that's facing you right now. I mean, Ed, in your office, uh, you know, what, what's the what's the one or one or two of the biggest challenges that you think are, are ahead? I think the biggest challenge is to instill within the fabric of the university, within our constituent communities, uh, all those that we interact with, the, um, the importance of diversity uh, and what it brings to the academy and to the dialogues that we have around uh, many topics. It has educational currency that we cannot underestimate. I think too often we look at uh, increasing diversity because it's something nice to do or to use an old adage is politically uh, correct. But more, more importantly, uh, it does have educational value. It has economic development value. Again, as we look at this country and how it's evolving um, uh, in terms of its populations and, 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 and as the world begins to shrink, you know, the world is becoming flat again, um, that we're going to have to interact with, with, with many more people who uh, we necessarily did not interact with in the past. And unless we're able to do that successfully, uh, we are not going to be able to achieve those high marks that we have set for ourselves. So diversity gives us the skill set uh, that allows us to deal in this global uh, world and trying to instill that sort of, of uh, philosophy within the minds of, of everyone, you know, not just certain pockets of the population, but uh, and, and make it integral uh, throughout our system is, is the greatest challenge. I would, you know, uh, ideally, uh, someone asked me earlier about about uh, a, a similar question. I said, you know, ideally, it'd be nice to see my office go away, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that it's not needed. So that because we all look at this, uh, I don't see color, I don't see culture. I mean, I respect culture and I appreciate culture, but I don't see it as something that's discriminating uh, in terms of how I'm going to uh, respond. Mm-hmm. Okay, Beverly, last minute. Um, one minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think we are dealing with so many issues in our community right now. Uh, the moving of or the closing of GE and, and home foreclosures and all of those things. And what I would hope is that we don't allow race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion to become the visible means of how we're dealing with those issues. And sometimes because race is so visible and, and we're dealing with so many other issues, it becomes the problem. And so I think that we all need to come together to deal with the aftermath of some of the issues that the community is facing. And and hopefully my office will be a positive influence in in doing that. But I think our community has a lot of challenges right now, and I just don't want us to start allowing – our differences to come to the forefront as an excuse for what the real problems are. Okay. And with that, we're out of time. I appreciate your comments. Um, Our guests today have been Edwin Marshall from IU's uh, Office of Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs. He's vice president. And Beverly Callender-Anderson, Bloomington Safe and Civil City Director. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, who couldn't be with us today, for producer Catherine Hegeman and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at wfiu.org.